So Sam, in 10 years time, where will we find Sam Hewitt? Because I don't, yeah, what a good question. Because this is so important to you. And I, it's so important to me to have you get to where you, wherever you may go. Where are you going to be in 10 years? I don't know. Yeah? I really, okay. I really don't know. I mean, I really, this really is my passion. I mean, you asked me that question before we started. You said, what would you be doing if you weren't here? And I said, I'd still be here. Like, this yeah. is what I would be doing. My, my passion is in helping people and in, you know, being who I really am and, I think it's taken me a long time to figure out who I am okay. and now that I know a big part of that is helping people figure out who they are and you know how to achieve what they're looking to achieve in their lives and I think that'll always be a big part of what I do that whether it's you know as the director of realtor development or whether that's of you know <laughs> running the company Chris or whether that's, um, we'll know, just keep looping that in the podcast <laughs> <laughs> he, he's made a comment to me last week about something and I was like well if I was running the company I'd have to worry about that um, you know or whether that's you know doing my own thing or having my own endeavor I think you know this this conversation is always going to be a big focus of what I do in my life okay uh, speaking of uh, getting back to you know director of realtor development have you ever come across people where you're just kind of like this is not for you. Yes. And do you have those hard discussions yes. with them? Okay. Yeah, you do. You do. Um, it's, I think again. Like being in a leadership role, that's yes, part of exactly the hat you have to wear, yeah, right? Exactly like, what I was just going to say. When you are, you know, when you really define yourself as a leader, it's funny because people, I think, oftentimes confuse um, leadership with a title. Mm -hmm. And leadership isn't a title. It's not about being the director of this or the vice president of that or the so-and-so or whatever. Uh, when you're a leader, you do everything. Mm -hmm. You know, when I came in the office two weeks ago, Chris was vacuuming the carpet because the paper machine had exploded. And instead of waiting for the cleaning company to come at five o'clock, he just got out the vacuum and vacuumed. His title isn't head cleaner, but that's what leadership is, right? And so, yeah, you have to have tough conversations and you have to have, you know, uncomfortable moments sometimes. And I think for me, you know, it's in the idea that if you build relationships with people, and you genuinely come at it with a place of compassion. Yeah. Having the discussion with them, they know you have their best interest at heart. And oftentimes you're doing them a favor. Have you ever fired anyone? Not fired, but like, eh, no, no, yeah, fired. Have you ever been like, you know what? Maybe this isn't the Not best. Really. Okay. It's usually a mutual conversation. I mean, it's funny. It's like a breakup, right? People say in breakups, well, who broke up with who? Uh, it really is genuinely. It's not you, it's me. Yeah. It, it really genuinely usually is a mutual it is, discussion. It is. It's usually, you know, we, this is what we're hoping to accomplish with our sales team. You know, do our goals align? What are you looking to do in your career? You know, we might not be the right fit for each other. Okay. Um, it's not usually a, I've never said, Get out. <laughs> you may be thinking it, but you know it's not the way to kind of deliver the <laughs> never, message never. so that they hear it. Um, so being in real estate for a majority of your life, I would say, where do you see real estate going? Well, tough question. Because I look at you as a leader in our industry. Thanks. I do. You know that. I ask you tons of questions. <laughs> when I was contemplating leaving teaching, you were the person at the office that we had a lot of heart to hearts. And you said it. You're like... It's going to be very tough. Yes. It's going to be very tough. And I remember confiding in you three weeks after. I'm like, Sam, 
this is lonely. This is a lonely job. Like from where I was coming, hundreds of kids, Mr. Kid, to like this. I was like, I wasn't prepared for that, um, but you were instrumental in laying an environment just so that I could talk to you. That type of environment, the openness for me to come to you. So where do you see real estate going? It's a good question. I mean, I I definitely see, you know, consolidation in our um, population. Uh, We've got a lot of realtors and, you know, the the sales volume doesn't sustain the number of bodies we have, certainly in the GTA. Mm -hmm. So I definitely see, you know, a consolidation of sorts there. Uh, I see the evolution or the continued evolution, I should say, of full service um, and what full service looks like. And I think, you know, shout out to my friend Gary V, where he talks about how people trade, um, you know, convenience for pretty much anything. And I think that will continue to be a big part of what we do. And so, you know, the idea behind what full service real estate looks ask, yeah. like is is continue to going to be a big part of this message. You know, a lot of our, our big teams, you know, are looking at incorporating staging arms into their business, not just outsourcing it, but as part of the actual service is, you know, a full staging component. And, you know, you're seeing the evolution of, of you know, photography and virtual tours and things like that. People oftentimes ask me, the biggest thing they say to me is, well, what about technology? Yeah. You know, is technology going to take over for realtors? You know you are on a podcast, right? I do. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I, 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 I say to people, you know, when you look at other industries, other service-based industries like ours, like I think I look at financial planning, right? And I look at my financial planner and, you know, he's a great guy and, you know, he manages my money well and he calls me and asks questions and makes suggestions and I listen. I have access to the same information that he does. I can look at the ticker and find yeah. if the stocks are up and down. Yeah. It, it doesn't mean I know what I'm doing. Yeah. It doesn't mean I have expertise. It doesn't mean I have knowledge. I have data. Mm-hmm. And people oftentimes confuse those things. And so in our business, when people say, is technology ever going to take over? I don't think so. Mm-hmm. I think the best realtors are going to le- learn how to how to leverage technology <laughs> to you know, spread their message. But is technology going to take over? No. Uh, you know, we are seeing the evolution of things like the iBuyer, mm-hmm. you know, where people can be able to go on and say, you know, I'd like to buy a one-bedroom condo yep. in 9222 Leslie and <laughs> boom, buy now, uh, which, yeah, will continue to be a, a, a piece of the puzzle for us to understand and, and harness and use. Yeah. Um, but I still think in the immediate future over the next five to ten years, full-service realtors are going to continue to win because consumers want advice. Yeah, and I 100% agree with you. I think real estate has changed in how the consumer finds us. That has changed. Um, But the desire for human connection is so strong, so prevalent in our industry. It's, It's wild. Like I host a monthly poker night and it's wild when I look around the table client, 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 who've actually become great friends of mine. Mm-hmm. So fighting for that relationship, mm-hmm. it's that intimate relationship that you can foster is mm-hmm. what I know in my business has helped me mm-hmm. to do to do well, 100%. right? And I've used technology as a platform just to get to be more known to other people, right? But it, that desire to still have someone who's either on the other line, other end of the cell phone, who's gonna be meeting you at the property, that physical presence, presence is so so paramount mm-hmm. in this transaction 
it's still it's still a relationship based business. It's just how you foster the relationship has changed. Now, do you have to be as animated and boisterous, no. <laughs> right? Like there are some agents, even I know I'm just like, you're not uh, you don't have the gift of gab. You're kind of introverted. I, I don't think you have, think you have to be. Okay. I mean, I think like attracts like. Yeah, so bingo, there are there it. are plenty of people yeah, out yeah. there that I'm I'm too much for those people, <laughs> and that's okay. That's blasphemous. <laughs> so that's my husband says. Find me these people. <laughs> my husband will say, "Okay, let's take it down a little. Let's bring it down a notch." But that's um, passion. That's passion. It's passion, it's and passion. I think like attracts like. There are plenty of people out there, you know, both realtors and clients alike, who are not you know, super motivated and don't jump up and say, I'm so excited. <laughs> and, and, and they'll find each other and they'll have an amazing relationship yes. together. And that yes. relationship may not be based on posting videos on Instagram for them to look at. That yeah. relationship may be based on having a phone call and talking about where the stats are for that month and some yeah. trends that are coming out of certain neighborhoods. Yeah. There is room for everybody yeah. in this industry. And that's that's huge. There's room for everyone. There is. The the defining factor, I believe, is the willing the amount of work you're gonna put in. A hundred percent. Right. You gotta do it consistently. Yeah, I think that's a huge you thing. You gotta do it consistently. And it's funny when you used to talk about, you know, being a lonely business, it is a lonely business. Yeah. And a lot of people don't realize that when they get into it, they think they're gonna be around clients all day, so it's gonna be really busy and lots yeah. going on. But when the clients all go their separate ways, it's still just you. Yeah. And you know, being part of a, an environment is oftentimes what gives you that motivation to continue on. Yeah. Um, and that's why building a company like we've tried to build is really key to our success and a lot of realtors' success. How do you stay on top of the industry? Like, I, I believe, I know Royal Page Signature, top brokerage in the GTA. How do you stay there? There's so many discount brokerages, this, that, whatever. It is wild. Once a week I get poached by someone from LinkedIn mm -hmm. being like, hey, come, I'm gonna give you zero desk fees, mm -hmm. zero this, zero that, like you do what you do. And I'm like, mm -hmm. no thanks. I appreciate mm -hmm. you reaching out. I love the effort you're putting forth. Mm -hmm. But how do you stay on, how do you stay on the top? I, I think that's it. That's such a great question. And it's, it, it, there's so many things that form a part of it. But the, the number one word, the easiest way to summarize, summarize it is just value. Okay. We, we get up. I, I think unlike most brokerages, when we talk about why, I mean, I have sort of a, a why um, at work and a why of why I do what I do. But then I also have sort of my personal why. But that, that why at work really is if you're going to come and work, you know, on the leadership team at Royal Page Signature, your sole goal every day has to be to get out of bed and think, how can I help my people succeed? What can I what can I do today? How can I provide something? How can I contribute to them to encourage and inspire and educate so they want to go out and defeat that loneliness sometimes yeah. and achieve their goals? Yeah. And I think a lot of brokerages don't think like that. Uh, we had a, a fellow who joined us uh, last month, and he came from a competitor, and you know he's known about Signature for a long time and hasn't made a move and. You know, he came in and he'd been there about a month and he'd come to some of our events and he'd come to some of our meetings. And uh, I asked, I always ask the question, you know, how come you, you left your former brokerage? I always like to know what the answer is. And he said, uh, I got tired of feeling like the leadership team was looking at me and thinking, what have you done for me lately? Oh my gosh. He said, when I came to Signature, it felt oh like gosh. everyone on the leadership, leadership team just says, what can I do for you? I love it. And he said it's a completely different mindset. Yeah. And I think if you're in that mindset as a brokerage, then you attract great people. 
it's the value add, right? It's and the it's value. the whole concept of leadership, not what can what can you do for me, what can I do for you? And yeah. I think that's why there's such brand loyalty, brokerage loyalty with Royal LePage Signature. Like the agents in the office are fiercely loyal fiercely. to staying at Signature. Like it's, it's wild. It's like nothing I've ever experienced. I'm not saying that I've been in a mul- multitude of brokerages, but people are always asking me in this industry, what brokerage do you work with? The first question right after is, what are your fees like? Mm-hmm. But then it's quickly thereafter. I'm like, it's not about the fees though. Like, do you just understand the sheer value? Like yeah. just come spend 15 minutes in the, in the office and you'll get it. You'll get it. You'll get it. Because I was with another brokerage for a very short period of time. And it was very much that. Mm-hmm. It was like no support. Mm-hmm. I don't. I didn't find my place there at all. Mm-hmm. And a buddy was like, "You got to come to Signature." And I remember sitting down, being like, first of all, blown away by the mm-hmm. office." I was like, "Whoa!" Um, it's pretty nice. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty nice. It's really nice. Mm-hmm. But it was just everyone is always there to support you. Yes. So. And and I think. You know, when you're looking at this this idea of value, I mean, certainly we try to be competitive in our fees for sure. There's no question. You can't charge. You know, you can't go to the moon with what you're charging, but. But I think people pay for value. I mean, that's why you know there's there's Tesla and there's you know the the whatever the new big Mercedes that just came out. Yeah. I saw on the highway the other day. I mean, there there there's people that are willing to pay for something if they feel there's value in it. And so for a brokerage or for a realtor or for any other entrepreneur, people will pay for what you're offering if they feel there's a value in it. Yeah, as long as they know that you care. I think yes. I think that's a huge component, right? Like. I still remember this to this day, like going, getting in a cab and the cab driver taking me to the train station. And I was telling him, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to be a teacher. I'm going to teacher's college. He's like, let me leave you with this little nugget. Nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. (laughs) And I'm like, I think he got, I think he pawned it from someone else. But I'm like, (laughs) it actually was the first thing that I wrote on my teacher's college application was the first thing that I'd written. And I was like, it is still stuck to me to this day. Like you've got to genuine, genuinely care genuinely. about something. That's the big it's thing. It's got to come from somewhere. Right? So we talk about this word value, like the value value. What does that look like? Like for realtors listening that are like on the fence, they're like, um, I've heard a signature. Like what are you talking about value? Because it's a big kind of, it's, it's a big word people kind of throw around. Yeah, they have trouble. I know. I remember when I started selling real estate, someone would say to me, well, you got to know your value proposition. proposition. And I would think, I don't even know what that means. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, for me, value means it's basically what am I getting? Yeah. Um, okay. And so when you're looking at value from a brokerage perspective, what are you getting from the current brokerage house you're in? Yeah. You know, what are you getting on the on the learning side? What kind of, <laughs> of learning are they doing? What kind of training programs do they offer? What kind of idea sharing? What's the culture like? Is yeah. it, it, can you sit down next to Steve Kim and say, hey, Steve Kim, how'd you shoot that awesome video on yeah. Instagram? Yeah. Or is Steve Kim gonna go, yeah, I'm not telling you, it's my <laughs> secret, right? I mean, what kind of a culture is part of there? Is there a culture? I mean, I've heard some people say, I go in the office and no one's here. Yeah. And I mean, look, it's, you know, August 1st, so there's a lot of people right now. <laughs> but, you know, in, in September, there should be a lot of people and there sure. should be a vibe. Yeah. And, you know, if you wanna be in the right environment to do the things you wanna do, environment is a part of it right what does the office look like what kind of you know technology do they have what kind of services do they offer uh and then the big one i mean i I really think there's a big push for us anyways on you know the the leadership support okay um i have called on a friday of a long weekend because we have an issue a competing brokerage one time i had to call four of them actually on the same day for an unrelated issue that wasn't a complaint but (laughs) there was 
there was no one in the office to speak to. There was no manager, there was no broker, there was nobody. Whereas at Signature, there's someone's always someone there. there every day. And you know, sometimes if we're at a meeting or if we're here, yeah, it's a couple hours, but there's someone there and there's someone there late. I yeah. Mean, there's someone in that building that's there to say, What can I how can I help you? Yeah. And that's for me value. That's what are you getting from where you are? Value, value, value. Okay, so Sam, let's dig a little bit deeper. Can you share with us a moment in life where you failed at something? Maybe you really, really oh wanted it. You failed at it. You picked yourself back up, and you pushed forward. I failed so many times. This is me. This is the teacher in me. I'm sorry. I failed so many times. Something that kind of sticks out in your in your mind. Uh, whether I, it's a realtor, whether in yeah. college, high school, like. Yeah, I mean, certainly for me, you know, not finishing university was a big fail. Um, you know, I was, my mom, my mom used to call me the golden girl after high school. I mean, I was the poster child for success at the time. Yeah. And I'd go away and come home because I'm on academic probation. Yeah, and yeah. And my mom was like, what in God's green earth? And my mom was a single parent, so okay. she worked really hard yeah. to put that money away for me to go to school. And I came home and, you know, of course, when you come home, all your friends know you're home and everyone knows you're not going back. Yeah. And, you know, we signed a lease. I had to pack up all my stuff. I had to find someone to take over my room. Yeah, my yeah. university friends weren't impressed because this is now a new person they don't know. You know, it was it was a fail. Okay. And it was it was hard because I was so mad at myself at the time for not trying to fix it or get help or speak out or figure out what the problem was. I just sort of ignored it and figured it would work itself out. Okay. So it was not only a fail in the fact that I sort of failed the first year of university, but it was also, it felt like such a personal failure because I didn't help myself. Okay. And I didn't, I wasn't courageous enough to speak out. And I felt like I failed my mom because okay. she worked so hard to have that money for me to go away. That was a big moment for me. And okay. coming home, when she said, figure it out, that was when I sort of thought, okay, what am I going to do? Like, yeah. how am I going to, what's going to make me happy? Huge shout out to your mom. Oh, my mom's awesome. Reason being, me having been an, been an educator for so many years, your mom, I think at that instance, the worst thing that she could have done was to coddle you. Yeah. No, seriously, like, welcome to the real world. Now what are you going to do? And so many parents have a difficult time doing that. Yes. Right? This concept of helicopter parenting. Yeah. It's no longer that. It's have you heard of the fr- the lawnmower? The oh, lawnmower yeah. parent? Heard, um, snowplow. Yeah, snowplow. yeah, yeah. Where you were actually Push. paving yes. the way for yes. your child. And I'm like, yeah. I think about that. I'm like, yeah, I guess at times yes. we do do that. We don't want them to fail. We're doing everything in our power to pave that way. But that's a, such a powerful thing for a mother to say. Yeah, my figure mom's it awesome. out. She's awesome. She she instilled <laughs> in us, I mean, she was a single parent, so she yeah. sort of had to out of necessity, but also just out of what she believed. I mean, we worked, you know, I worked from a very young age. Um, I was responsible to someone that wasn't my mom and I made money and I, you know, learned what that looked like. And it it helped in so many ways because you learn sort of the value of a dollar, which is really important, but you also learn, you know, education in some way, shape or form. It doesn't need to be, doesn't need to be institutional education. Yes. Education is what's going to take you to the place you want to go. Yes. 
And it doesn't have to be sitting in a classroom at McMaster University. It can be sitting with a mentor and working with them for 18 months and figuring out how to scale your real estate business. Yeah. That could be your education. But an education is key in figuring out how you're going to be successful. And so when we worked at a young age, she would say to us, unless you want to serve popcorn at Colonel's for the rest of your life, yeah. what does your education look like? Yeah. And that's where the the educational system, I feel, is so disjointed in that we're not pre preparing them. Even for the entrepreneurial life, we're not. No. We're preparing you to do the things that we did yes. like years ago, years. decades ago. Decades. I'm like, this is this doesn't make sense. Decades. And I struggled a lot with as a teacher with that. I remember right? we've shared, we've, we've talked about you shared that. Yeah, I'm like, you wanted to... I can't do this. I can't stand up in front of the class and do things that I know are so disjointed it's not serving my kids. And I remember getting in trouble, getting in trouble from administrators being like, you can't do that. I'm you like, yeah, do I can that. do that. Yeah. I can because that's what the kids need. It, there there <laughs> needs to be a life ink. Yes. A life 101 class. Like how to, how to create a, a savings account. Yes. Why are they learning this in high school? Yeah. <laughs> Correct. So let me ask you, so all of the, like that experience, how has that helped you having children of your own? Yeah, it's funny. It's one thing to I, have lived through oh, and then yes. watching your kids. Yes, I was a great parent before I had children. And now that I have them. Everyone. God, this yeah. is hard. So now what? My kids will never eat McDonald's. Eat McDonald's a little bit. Um, I, I think parenting is, you know, one of those things that I think is, it's so hard to not think you're screwing it up. Um, and every day I think, God. Um, yeah, like not even once a like not even once a day. No, like often, often, more on Saturdays. Um, as we're late for here, I know everything. Where's your bathing soap? Yeah, it's parenting is is tough, and I think what I you know what I what I've taken from my own experience as um, a kid watching my mom parent is that I really. I really have some a clear understanding of the fact that I can't be a lawnmower or a you know snowplow parent. I I think you've got to let your kids figure it out themselves sometimes, and it's hard for me. Yeah. Um, I'm sure like a lot of moms because I'm always worried about safety. Yeah. You know, what, what if something bad happens, <laughs> or what if they're outside, or what? You know, I, I'm always sort of. Ah. Um, and so. How do you let them kind of have some freedom some autonomy, while, yes. while still being safe? And so for us in our house, you know, we have, we tried to set up some things, you know, we, uh, we have our little, you know, checklist in the morning, the kids have to brush their hair, brush their teeth and go through the whole list and they've got to pack their backpacks and there's, there's activities they need to do yeah. on their own. Uh, my mom, God bless her, bought the girls jars. Oh yeah, uh, and so they get an allowance every week, oh, and nice. some of it is savings, and some of it oh, is school, really? and some of it is is spending money. That's great. Um, yeah, it's pretty awesome. So my daughter saved enough money for a new scooter. So today, I actually, when I'm done here, I'm taking her in her jar. We're gonna go buy her. Get out scooter. of here! And you're gonna obviously buy her the whole protective gamut of gear. We have that already. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you sure you want a scooter? Okay, we we're gonna bubble already. wrap you. <laughs> we have that already. So yeah, I think. You know, parenting is tough. Par being a, a you know a working mom, people say, "Oh, you're a working mom." I like to say I'm a working woman raising humans because, you know, I I really sort mm. of have the long game in mind yeah. for my kids, and I think 
as a working parent, it's sort of the only way you can do it. You okay. can have better days than others. And sometimes when I have those yeah. really tough days, yes. I think, yes. you know what? I'm working <laughs> towards this and it's not a straight line. Working towards you finally leaving the house one day. I'm yes, just kidding. I'm just yeah, kidding. I, um, 30 years, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, tell us, um, what's one thing that you wish you had known back then that you know now? I, I think, you know, num- the number one thing I would say is I wish I had known that it's okay to take risks. Love it. I think, I think a lot of, I think women especially are oftentimes ingrained to you know, be safe and, you know, put everyone first and be responsible and mm-hmm. do the right thing. And I think it's okay to take risks and I think it's okay to fail. Um, and I think knowing you're going to be okay. I wish I had known yeah. more of that back then. Knowing that you're going to fail. That's one clear, that's one clear, consistent message. I would mm-hmm. tell the graduating class leaving, mm-hmm. you're going to fail. Mm-hmm. There's no, that's, that's my guarantee in your life is that you're going to fail multiple times. Mm-hmm. It's what you choose to do with that failure, with that failure. is what's going to make you into this, that, or whatever. So yeah. I think that's super, super powerful. Um, but it's, it's, it's the truth, right? It's the truth, being able to understand that with those risks come failure. Because a lot of people ask me, they're like, Mr. Kimps, you know, how do you know like when you're passionate about something? And I'm like, try things. Try things. Right? But try why things. don't they? Why don't they? Like as a woman, as a human being, what is it in, in, our, in our nature that prevents us from taking those risks, trying? I'm like, you have the beauty of age, I'm 40. You're like 14. 40, you know how many years, you, every 40-year-old says that, but I'm like, <laughs> you know how many years and decades you have over me? Like, it's the regret. I'm like, I wish I would have, like, but what prevents people from doing that? I think for sure it's number one, fear of failure. I think... Failure in whose eyes? Like parents? No, like they're, they're their own. Like, okay. I want to go be... I want to be Kawhi Leonard, but I haven't taken basketball when I'm 15. <laughs> like, I don't want to start because I'm not going to look like him. Okay. Right? Um, and I think, truthfully, it's, I know a lot of people blame social media, and I'm not blaming social yeah. media, but I think, you know, kids these days, the 14-year-olds have grown up with yes. technology and with social media. And, you know, I think they are so influenced by what they see and so if the curated message they're getting is that you know you've got to be great at everything you try Mm -hmm. then sometimes it's scary to try yeah or that when they do try and they fail they're like just shell-shocked yes because they're like i have no idea what to do yeah have you read um grit by Angela Duckworth. No, I've heard Angela of this Angela Duckworth yeah. wrote this book called Grit. It's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Uh, it's, and it's, it's an amazing book as, as a, like just to read it for yourself, but as a parent. Yeah. Um, she talks about in the book how she forces her kids to try new activities. Okay. And not just try them, but they have to commit to a certain time span. Okay. Um, and so when they pick a new activity, I think she said the commitment was like four to six months. Oh, wow. But then when they pick a new activity they like and they do it for a year, they have to pick one activity they'll do for a minimum of two years. Oh, wow. Because she said it teaches them that grittiness of getting better and doing it when you don't want to and discipline and pushing forward even though it doesn't come naturally maybe in the beginning. She's huge in the education space now because I remember going to workshops about around the idea of grit and resilience yes. and they had done a ton of studies even in New York region that that's actually the one of the key factors in determining success, success. at an early age yeah. right that resilience picking yourself back up and knowing that it's failures are part of the process and pushing forward. Uh, okay so a few questions we'll end off on a lighter lighter note. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sam Hewitt what is your all-time favorite childhood candy? 
Oh my gosh, I love candy. I have, <laughs> I have a candy problem. Um, people are like, oh god, I love chips, candy. Um, yeah, I'm a chip guy. Like, are you? I'll I'll, I'll crush a big bag. Really? Without even What's think. What's your favorite flavor? Uh, sour cream and onion. Oh, sorry, I love sorry. Sour cream. Lay's yeah. sour cream and onion. You can yeah. sponsor this podcast, Lay's. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That'd be good, <laughs> huh? We could just be like, <laughs> <laughs> um, Mine would be wine gums. Oh, the if Maynard's. Kid, the Maynard's. Oh, not the knockoff kid. brand. Like the no, no, movie. they're real ones. Yeah. My grandmother, um, I spent a lot of time with my grandmother as a kid, and she had this <clears> buffet in the dining room, and she would keep candy in it. And so every time we would come to her house, we'd go straight for the buffet, and you'd be opening the drawers and you're rifling through, and she'd always have wine gums, the Maynard's wine gums. I think it's part of being a grandparent yes. is having that candy cabinet somewhere, yes. knowing that kids are... It's a requirement. Yeah, right? I think it, Yeah, I think so. I think so. Okay, amazing. Uh, your fondest childhood memory. <laughs> Fondest childhood memory. Um, (laughs) Or most traumatizing childhood memory? Yeah. So we'll we'll stick with grandma. So my grandmother, um, God bless her soul, she uh, grew up in the Great Depression. So she really, you know, had a hard time with money. And so she saved everything she possibly could. And when we were kids, we used to spend the summers with her. My mom was a single parent. She was a working mom. And so my grandma would pick us up on the last day of school and we'd go to the cottage. And we'd spend the summer up there. And so to make extra money, even though my grandma had lots of it, <laughs> we would collect beer cans. Nice. Remember we used to collect the beer cans? To the, so we would, we would go out with our shopping bags. I must have been, I don't know, nine or ten. I love it. Oh, so my I, sister would have been like five. And we used to go park the car. <laughs> And my grandma parked her on the highway. Oh, nice. And we would go into the ditch. No way. And can you imagine the safety now? Like, oh my gosh. Uh, but at the time, it was no big deal. Like, Huge shout out to Granny. Like a five-year-old kid <laughs> picking up beer cans. And then we would return them for um, money. But the funniest, the funniest childhood memory is that she finally got smart one day and she said, you know what, girls? We should be looking in the recycling bins. You know those yeah. big, huge, tall recycling bins? So we were like, oh, yeah. So there was this big, there was this three of them at the top of her little community where her cottage was. And so she's like, let's go up there one day. And so we toddle up to the top of the hill and I can't get in because it's so big, right? I'm 10 or nine. And so she's like, okay, go in head first, I'll hold your ankle. So I'm in there head first, trying to throw the cans out over my head. Well, doesn't the neighbor come walking by, right? Hi, witch! She says to my grandma, my grandma lets go. No way. And puts her arm (laughs) on top of the thing so I can't get out. Of course, she doesn't want this woman thinking her granddaughter is (laughs) cycling. I come out, I'm covered in like... Oh my gosh. Gosh knows what. That's hilarious. We go back to the cottage and she's like, here's the here's the soap. Go in the shower. <laughs> now, question, did you do it the next summer? You I know guess. it. <laughs> you know it. That was our money. We got to spend that. That's hilarious. On wine gums. <laughs> Comes back full circle full to the circle. wine gums. Uh, the last question I ask every single guest is, the name of the podcast is Be Great, Be Kind. Sam Hewitt actually had this shirt made for me. I love you so much. Sam, what does it mean to you, like personally, professionally, all around? What does it mean to be great, be kind to you? Yeah, I I think, you know, the the pace of our world sometimes can be, you know, really quick. And I think there's sometimes what feels like a lot of hate that's being spun around. Um, And I think, you know, be great, be kind really just means can you take that extra moment or that situation and take that extra second to pause and breathe and think, how can I come at this from a perspective of kindness? I love um, it. 
instead of just that knee-jerk reaction when some of us are going through our life that we tend to yeah. put in situations. Sam Hewitt, thank you so much for your time. Thank, thank you for you. all of the multitude of hats that you wear. Thank you for just making this generation of people, human beings, so much better. Thank you. I can't wait to see where you are in the next 10 years. Thanks. Um, My turn. I can't wait to see where you are. I'll be on your podcast. Years. I will be on your podcast in less than 10 years. I know that. Thanks for inspiring so many people in the business because people all the time say to me, that's Stephen Kim. What's he doing? What's he up (laughs) to? Is he still trading in real estate? (laughs) Um, But thank you so, you you know, thank you so much. You're the best. We love you so, so much. Um, You guys know the drill. As always, be great, be kind. Take care.